Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may our hearts and minds be open to your message this morning so that we may feel your abiding presence more deeply and hear your call on our lives. Amen. Keeping the faith. Our passage this morning continues where we left off last week in the Gospel of Mark. As we mentioned last week, Mark's gospel was written at a time when a Jewish revolt had been brutally suppressed by the Romans, and the Jews and Christians were devastated. At the time of the revolt, many thought that the end times were upon them. This included the Jews, the Jewish Christians, and the Gentile Christians. They saw the revolt as a sign that Rome's defeat was imminent, and the Messiah was about to deliver them from Roman oppression. But when the revolt was put down, Jerusalem was burned to the ground and the temple was destroyed. These folks were devastated. Many became disillusioned and questioned whether Jesus really was the Messiah. Scholars suggest that the occasion for this writing of Mark's gospel was to reinforce the beliefs of the followers of Jesus during this tumultuous time and to address misconceptions that were taking place within that community. With this background information in mind, the strong language in verses 42 to 48 make perfect sense. John Mark, the presumed author of this gospel, recalls this teaching from Jesus, and he was probably taught by his teacher Peter, the Apostle Peter. This passage warns us, which we just read, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eyes causes you to stumble, Tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their word never dies and the fire is never quenched. Of course, this message was never intended to be taken, literally. The first century audience had a much harsher living condition than we do today. So they were more likely to witness the kind of terrible injuries described in these verses. For example, there were the Roman games where people watched others experience violent deaths for entertainment. And the stories of that era, era, such as the Greek tragedy of Oedipus, who blinded himself so he would not be able to see the consequences of his misadventures. That would have been common knowledge for folks at this time. There were also philosophical writings that had similar lessons. For example, a Roman philosopher named Sextus from the first century BCE, BC, it's quoted as saying, cast away any part of the body that would cause you not to live abstinently, for it is better to live abstinently without this part than ruinously with it. These kinds of sayings were not suggesting that self-mutilation as it was a prescription for avoiding temptations said. They were emphasizing the relative importance of God's kingdom compared to the earthly kingdoms. There's nothing on earth that compares or even comes close to the experience of God's kingdom. So whatever we must give up in this life to experience God's love and compassion is worth the trade-off. 
The physical pleasures of our earthly existence don't even come close to the joy that we can experience in God's kingdom. Therefore, we are taught to avoid those things that pull us away from God at all costs. Now, interestingly, we're also vigorously warned against dragging people away from God's kingdom. Apparently, there were competing groups in this first century time who were disillusioned with the apocalyptic reign that, that it didn't happen and the Messiah did not come as they expected. Some of them argued against the claim that Jesus was the Messiah, and they tried to dissuade others from participating in the Christian community. Today's passage warned them that they will experience their own consequences for discouraging others. By dragging others down into attitudes of hopelessness and despondency, they set themselves up for a kind of life that they will utterly regret. It's one thing to make a personal decision to disregard Jesus' teachings, but choosing to lead people into darkness results in a deeper level of suffering that they will make themselves experience if they hadn't chosen that path. Following the teachings of Jesus leads us down a particular path. In chapter 7, verses 13 of 14 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus, is teach, Jesus teaches us to enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. This passage echoes the warnings from Mark's gospel, telling us that the path to a fulfilling life is not necessarily easy. There are things that may come that seem enticing, which we'll have to give up. And there are things that we may find difficult or distasteful at first that we will be called to do. Following the teachings of Christ is hard, but it's more gratifying than anything that we can experience in this physical life. The early disciples made the hard choice to follow Jesus before they fully even understood what they were getting into. They gave up much to travel the countryside with Jesus, and they worked very, very hard. You might imagine they were a little upset when they found that someone else was using Jesus' teachings to cure others, but this other person wasn't traveling with the rest of the disciples. In the first part of today's passage, we see the Apostle John complaining to Jesus about this person, but Jesus isn't concerned. Jesus is more concerned about making God successful than about making himself successful. Jesus replied to John, no one who does a deed of power in my name will be, soon, will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. I don't think doing something in Jesus' name literally means that saying the word Jesus will automatically cause a miracle to happen. I think finding the narrow gate and the hard road that leads that Jesus' teachings lead us to guide us toward this witness of powerful things that God accomplishes. So I suspect this other person was applying these principles that Jesus taught, but they were doing it in separate circles. Jesus knows what's required for deeds of power to take place. And if they're happening somewhere else, that's a good thing. That means that this other person is probably heading in the right direction 
and will eventually end up finding Christ in God's kingdom. Interestingly, we see a similar situation with Moses in the book of Numbers. In chapter 11, we see the story of how Moses asked God to give him help in taking care of the Israelites. The people were eating the manna that God provided in the desert, but they also wanted meat. So they constantly complained about not having meat to eat. Moses was frustrated and ready to give up. So God told Moses to gather 70 elders, come to the tent of meeting, and God would empower them to carry some of the burden that Moses had been carrying for the people. At the appointed time, God gave the 70 elders a spirit of prophecy, but two of them didn't make it to the tent of meeting on time. They were still in the camp when the spirit rested upon them, and they were prophesying in the camp. Now, when Joshua, Moses' assistant, heard about these two elders who were prophesying in the camp, he went to Moses and urged him to stop those elders in the camp from prophesying. In verse 29, we read that Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Within all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses was adamant that the Israelites should follow the commandments given by God so that they would feel all the Lord's presence in their life. Similarly, in this morning's passage from Mark's Gospel, we see that Jesus is adamant that we should follow his teachings, not so that we can form an elite group that everyone else must look up to, but to bring God's kingdom here to earth. Jesus was comfortable with having his message presented in a different way, perhaps because he was more interested in what was said than what specific words were being used. His teachings are vital to the kingdom living and more important than anything else that we could possibly experience on earth. But they can be expressed in more than one set of words. In fact, it seems there are no words that can fully contain or express all of God's law or love for humanity. So even he used different examples or different parables to give us glimpses of different aspects of God's kingdom. He compared it to a mustard seed, a batch of yeast, a treasure in a field, a merchant searching for fine pearls, a net cast in the sea, the master of a household and a landowner who went on a journey, just to name a few. These expressions of God and God's teaching keep us on our toes, making us think and seek refinement in our understanding of Jesus's message. It's as if Jesus is pointing to the narrow gate and he wants us to focus on the gate rather than his finger. This reminds me of something that happened on the parsonage the other day at home where I was. I was sitting in the kitchen one morning when I noticed a neighbor's cat had jumped into the backyard. I also have a cat and wanted to show my cat, Hutch, this new visitor. So I picked up Hutch, I took him to the window, and I excitedly pointed to this other cat who was sitting actually in Hutch's favorite spot. But Hutch kept staring at my finger, wondering why I was holding him up to the window. He wouldn't take his eyes off my finger, no matter how hard I tried to get him to look into the yard. Eventually, I guided his gaze in the direction of our visitor long enough for him to perceive the other cat. And he suddenly locked onto 
this visitor and wouldn't take his eyes off until the other cat left. I think Jesus tries to guide our gaze to God, but sometimes we have difficulty shifting our focus from what he is using to point to God to the t- versus the teaching that reflects the nature of God. When we speak the Lord's Prayer, do we simply recite the specific words that we've memorized? Or do we contemplate the meaning of each of those words? When we read scripture, do we quickly skim through the stories? Or do we meditate on the passages and discern how the Spirit might be trying to speak to us in that moment so that we can be transformed by the Holy Spirit working through God's word? The teachings are extremely important because they point to what is God's kingdom. So we must be sure to diligently seek their meaning so that we can grow closer to God. As we grow in our relationship with God, there are times when we will stumble. When we make a mistake, we know that we can repent or change direction from the behavior or attitude that was driving a wedge between us and God. This is a gift from God that Christ made available to us through his death and resurrection. But it is important to recognize the gravity of our sins and not take this gift of grace lightly. By comparing our sins to losing an eye or a hand, we see the importance that Christ places on mastering our temptations. When we are cavalier about this gift of grace, thinking, oh well, no big deal, God will forgive me. When we repeatedly make the same mistake, We dilute its importance and diminish the value of Christ's sacrifice for us. In a sense, we're diluting our faith. In the last few verses of today's passage, Christ tells us that we will all be salted with fire. In verse 50, he he states, salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Of course, salt cannot lose its saltiness in the sense it changes from sodium chloride to something else on its own. But it can be diluted. As we struggle with our temptations, our faith is tested, and we are seasoned through our trials. This seasoning is akin to a a purification, and our faith grows stronger. But when we easily succumb to temptations, thinking that we are easily forgiven, We dilute our faith, losing our saltiness. Christ wants us to find the narrow gate that leads to life, so he he has shared his gospel message through the ages with all of humanity. His teachings are extremely important because they point us towards the kingdom of God. But we must search for the meaning behind those words and follow the Spirit as it guides us. When we encounter trials, as we inevitably will, we are encouraged to overcome our temptations to the best of our ability. But if we fail, we know we will safely fall into the arms of Christ. Despite our trust that Christ will catch us when we fall, we must be diligent in our efforts to following his teachings, because this is how we grow more deeply as disciples and how we learn to keep the faith. Amen.